1 Samuel chapter 17, and the preacher asked me to preach, and he asked me to keep it missions-themed, and there's been a couple verses, and we're going to look at them. I'm going to try to primarily be in 1 Samuel chapter number 17 tonight, but I will kind of flip around, but I'm the type of person, when I read my Bible, things pop out at me, and a lot of times that's how the Lord deals with me, and getting a sermon together, and uh, you know, a lot of times it's questions that are asked in the Bible. And here in 1 Samuel 17, very familiar passage of Scripture, I preached out of this passage a couple of years ago at a, a church up in Washington, Georgia, and that's what kind of spurned this message, if you would. It's not the exact same message, but a little bit of similarities. But here, most of us know the story of David and Goliath, and I'm not going to recap the whole story, but we will start reading in uh, verse number uh, 20 down through 29 to start off with. But here uh, we have, and it says, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse commanded him, and uh, he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. And I just want to stop right here and just kind of mention that uh, there, if you just flippantly read through your Bible, you'll miss something here, even verse 20. We see uh, the caretaker that David was. He was a young man, and uh, I'm not going to get into the... If you do a scriptural study, the chapter before in chapter 16, you'll see that he's called a mighty man of valor. He's called a, 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 a man of war. I don't believe he was like a, an older man. We know he doesn't have any military experience, but he was no young little whippersnapper. Uh, he was no wimp. Uh, he talks about in this chapter how he defeated a lion and defeated a bear with God's help. Uh, so he, he was a responsible young man. He left his sheep, but he didn't leave them by himself. He found a keeper to take care of his sheep. And he did, uh, he did the commandments of his father. He, he was an obedient young man. Uh, so keep that in mind as we read forth. In verse 21 it says, For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine? And take away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, they just said what that would happen to the man and David is, is asking this question, trying to, to rally the troops there. He's not saying it to be a smart butt. He's saying it to rally them and get them to understand, you know, do you all not understand that this Philistine is defying our God? He's defying the Lord God of Israel. And in verse 27 it says, and the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's asking a vain question, because David took care of that, amen? 
He was responsible. He just didn't leave them by themselves. I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down and thou, that, uh, that thou mayest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And that's what I want to preach on tonight. Do you see the cause? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do ask that you be with me tonight, Lord. I, I ask humbly that you hide me behind your, your words, Lord. You hide me behind the cross of Calvary. I come up here not to preach at anybody, but more importantly, to preach to myself, Lord. I'm a member of South Haven Baptist Church. I'm a member here, a, a, a glad member here. I love what you're doing here, Lord, but uh, this is missions month. And we, it's easy to let the devil get on our backs and get on our shoulders, Lord, uh, and tell us what can we do with worldwide evangelism? What can we do here at South Haven Baptist Church? I don't know the, the census of this morning's service and uh, what the, the, the number is tonight, Lord. And there might be 40 or 50 people here tonight, Lord. And uh, if we allowed numbers to sway us, we'd say, what can we do among world evangelism? But the truth of the matter is, is there not a cause? I pray that you help us to see the cause of worldwide missions, Lord, and help us to grab hold of it, Lord, and, 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 and do something about it. Challenge our hearts, Lord. Burden our hearts, Lord. Help us to see the need to reach souls, not just uh, overseas, Lord, but here as well. And I ask again that uh, you use me for your glory and honor, and uh, I just pray that you stir our hearts tonight, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you turn over to Acts chapter number 1, verse 8, or if you want to, I'll just read the verse. It's one of the Great Commission verses, and it's probably my favorite of all uh, the verses. you got one in every uh, gospel, uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16. I can't remember exactly where it's at in Luke, and I know John mentions it, but here in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, he says here, uh, this is Jesus speaking, he says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And as I mentioned back in uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 17, uh, you know, David asked that question, is there not a cause? And I ask that question tonight. When it comes to the Great Commission, what God commanded us to do as a church, do we see the cause? Do we see the cause? If you're going to get involved in faith promise mission giving, you've got to grab a hold of the cause. You've got to be willing to take and see the cause as something that's important, something that's a, a reality, something that's important to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's so important, he mentions it five times in Scripture. The Great Commission. I think of uh, Jeremiah, and I'm going to turn here because he asked a similar question in Lamentations chapter number 1, verse number 12. He says here, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? If you know the context of uh, Jeremiah, it's 52 chapters and for 51 chapters roughly, he preaches to the nation of Judah. At this point in time, when Jeremiah is a prophet unto God, uh, Judah, uh, Israel has split. The northern kingdom has already been overtaken by Assyria, and that kingdom had been overtaken by the Babylonians. And here, the Babylonians are coming against Judah and the remnant of Israel that is left in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah. And he's been preaching and prophesying to that kingdom, saying God's going to bring judgment. God's going to bring judgment. And then you come to chapter number 52, and guess what? God brought judgment, and it broke his heart. God 
uh, brought judgment by the, the Chaldeans or uh, by the Babylonians, if you would. And they don't just come in and besiege Jerusalem. They conquer Jerusalem. They tear down the wall. They burn the city. They burn the house of God. And there, Jeremiah is in the city. And people, after the conquering of Jerusalem, are just walking by like nothing happened. And he asks that question, is it nothing to you? Basically what he's saying is, are you not bothered by what's going on? And I would ask this question as part of the Great Commission with what's going on in the United States. We like to talk politics. I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else. We like to talk uh, uh, about things the way we wish Washington would fix this or do this or do that, get somebody else in, and I'm not against voting. I pray, please, go vote this November. Go vote. Your vote will matter, uh, especially in the state of Georgia. But what I would ask you is, uh, on the bigger scale, do we see the cause uh, uh, of what we need to do here in the United States. It's, if we're going to change America, it's not going to be through politics. It's going to be through the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and going back to 1 Samuel chapter 17 here, uh, just by way of introduction, I, I want you to understand something. David wasn't coming down there uh, to be an irritating little brat. His father sent them down there. He was sent down there by his father's command. He was being obedient. But yet, when you understand, this army of Israel probably had 500,000 people. There was probably 500,000 men. Most scholars, biblical scholars, believe that at this time, with Saul's army of Israel, he probably had it in the range of 500,000 mighty men of valor that were in the army of Israel, and not a single one of them was willing to stand up to Goliath. Not a single one of them was challenged by what Goliath... Because Goliath wasn't... When you go back, and we won't read it, you can read it for yourself, but Goliath came up there and he just didn't talk smack against the Israelites. He talked smack against God. He talked smack against the Lord God of Israel. And it bothered David so much, he said, Is there not a cause? Do you not see the cause? And we know the story. He stands up. But what I want to preach on, and, and if you'll give me time, is you know, uh, do you see the cause? See, every Christian could grab a hold of the cause by uh, uh, when they take hold of three realities. I see that David grabbed a hold of here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, the first two, and uh, we'll flip over to another set of Scripture for the last one. But first of all, let me just preach this reality. Do you see the cause to be totally surrendered? If you're going to have uh, uh, grab a hold of the cause, uh, let me ask it this way. Is there not a cause for you as a child of God to be totally surrendered? I know a preacher preached that this morning, living the surrendered Christian life, and I'm not going to uh, spend a whole lot of time on these first two points. I really want to get to my third point and preach it more than, more than these first two, but I have to get there uh, through this way, amen. But uh, is there not a cause to live the surrendered Christian life? And we see in verses 34 through 40, David here, and I won't read them all, but David's basically, he says, I will take on that Philistine. I will conquer that, that Goliath. I will take on that giant. And the world comes at him, if you would. The carnal Christians come at him with their methods. 
They come at him with their ways. Even Saul says, Here, David, you're brave enough to take on the giant I'm not willing to take on myself, even though Saul himself was a a head higher than all the other Israelites. He said, David, let me give you my armor. See, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David had become Saul's armor bearer. So he was familiar with Saul's armor, he just wasn't familiar with wearing it. And we see Saul says, put on my armor, David. Let me give you my armor. Let me give you my sword. Let me give you some, some means to take on the giant. And what does David say? He says, I haven't proved it. I'm trusting in God. And he goes against a giant with impossible weapons, with a staff and five stones and a sling. And they look at him like he's crazy. But why would he do that? Because he wasn't trusting in the world's means. See, the church and missions, this isn't an organization. This isn't a business. Uh, churches don't hold uh, you know, missions conferences, and we don't hold business meetings because... The church is being run like a business. This is an organism. It's the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Paul talks about in the epistle of 1 Corinthians, he talks about how uh, the church is the body of Jesus Christ, and some, some are the hands, some are the eyes, some are the ears, some are the mouth, some are the feet. And he says, how dare you think anybody better than the other? You've got to have it all. What is the ear to say to the mouth, you know, I I wish I could speak. No, he says it all works together when it's in the right order, when it's done the right way. How do you do that? You've got to be surrendered. You've got to be a surrendered child of God. And if you're going to grab a hold of the cause of worldwide missions, and it starts here, right? It starts in Jerusalem. That's why we read Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. It starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It's got to start here. How do you grab a hold of that? You've got to be surrendered to the Lord. So let me ask you this question. Are, are you motivated? Do you see the cause to live a surrendered Christian life? Then secondly, I see that is there not a cause to be completely separated? David was a separated individual. We see how uh, he, he was set apart uh, from all the others because he, he grabbed a hold of the cause and he asked that question When you live a separated Christian life, you only live a separated Christian life by, number one, being surrendered. You've got to be surrendered first before you can even start to live separated. But uh, as he was living that separated life, he asked the hard questions in verse number 26. He says, who is this Philistine, uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then in verse 29, he says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? See, that separated Christian life, people are going to criticize you and the questions that that you will have to ask in their ears will be hard questions. You know, uh, uh, most times when we grow in the Christian life, it's because somebody asked us a hard question. I've been reading books by Ian Bounds and he asked a lot of hard questions. And it's caused me to, to, to change some things in, in my life and, and draw closer to the Lord. But the, we see the hard questions. We see the lack of courage among others. We already read it in verse 24 how that when he came out and started defying Israel and defying, defying the God of Israel, uh, they all fled away. They were, they were scared. The, the lack of courage there among the unseparated Uh, Jews, if you would. And then we see the jaded criticism in verse number 28. 
his brother basically criticizes him without uh, proof, without accusation. He was following his father's commands. And, and yet his brother accuses him falsely and says, you're just coming down here to see the battle. You're just coming down here uh, to be arrogant and, and to be a little stuck-up brat. But in reality, he was being obedient. And he did take care of his sheep. He, he took all of that into account. He was responsible. He was separated. He was different. I think of Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. What did it say? Uh, the Holy Spirit told them, he said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas because I, I have a work for them to do. God only uses separated Christians. I know I'm taking that verse in Acts chapter 13. I'm applying it, if you would, in its context. He was separating them for the work of God. But uh, if we turn to James chapter number 4, you know, verse number 4, you want to get the separation nailed down. James 4 uh, does it greatly, if you would. But in James 4, 4, it says this. I'm almost there. I didn't mark it. Amen. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And so separation is important in the Christian life. And, and it's a gradual process. But let me ask you this question. Do you see the cause to live the separated Christian life? I think of that song as my favorite hymn. I know it's not in our hymn book, but my faith has found a resting place. I love the chorus. It says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. And are you going to live separated? Do you see the cause to be a separated Christian because of what Christ did for you? That's the only way you're going to grab a hold of that. And then let me ask you, uh, deal with this third reality. And like I said, this is the one I wanted to get to most of all. But uh, we see here, David saw the need to supply those who came after. Is there not a cause to supply those that will come after us? How did we end up in the 1800s, sending out missionaries out of the United States uh, like crazy. Uh, I think of, uh, and England was sending them out. Uh, Andrew Murray, uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, uh, the Cambridge Seven, C.T. Studd, and uh, David Livingston, all those great missionaries of the 1800s and early 1900s. How did we go from that to where we're at today? where very few churches, Bible-believing, pre preaching churches, are sending out missionaries like they should. They, they dropped the ball. The need to supply those who come after failed. See, David here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 did a great work, right? He killed a giant by the Lord's help. He didn't do it by himself. Uh, back in James chapter 4, it talks about God resisted the proud. So if he came down there in pride, he would not have killed that giant. I promise you that. God, if he came down there to face that giant in pride, he would not have killed that giant. God would have saw to it. He would have fell on his face. Just like Saul fell on his face so many times, spiritually speaking, if you would, because he did so much out of pride. But David came there trusting in the Lord. He was surrendered to the Lord. He said, God, if you want me to just deal with some sheep, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to trust you to deliver me out of the hand of the lion to deliver me out of the hand of the bear. And now he's got him down at the battle, and he said, Lord, I'm not going to put up with that man talking against you. I'm going to fight him and trust you're going to deliver him in my hand. And if not, I'm better off dead. That was his mentality, because he saw the cause. But then it just didn't end here. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 21. 
2 Samuel chapter number 21. One book over, but uh, I remember when preacher was preaching on the life of David, he hit on this. This is David's legacy in 2 Samuel chapter number 21, verses 15 through 22. We see David here as an old man. It says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbibbenab, which was of the sons of the giants, uh, the weight of whose spear weighed uh, 300 shekels of brass in weight, and being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David, but Abishai, the son of Zeruah, uh, scourged him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. They, they said, David, you, you, you're getting a, a little too old for this thing. You, you've taught us how to deal with these giants, David. You, you stay back. You, you prepared us for this. Let us do our job. And so we see here, Abishai slays one, but it just doesn't end there. It's verse 18, it said, It came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines and at Gob. Uh, then uh, that guy, Sibachai, the Hushite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle at Gob with the Philistines where uh, Elhanan, the son of uh, yeah, mm, Jeragorim, uh, the Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, and the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath. Uh, where there was a man of great stature that had every hand six fingers and every foot six toes, four and twenty in number, and uh, he was also born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. See, he prepared some to come after him. David just didn't kill the giant in his day. Like I said, it's easy. Uh, I don't know how many here is in attendance tonight. But it's easy to think, who are we among a world of, I think the last census is over 8 billion people. How can we reach so many? Don't let the devil get on your shoulder. Is there not a cause? We, t- we sung about it tonight. I'm not going to hell. But yet, how many people in Africa? How many people in the Middle East? How many people here in the United States can't say that? They don't have that testimony. And and we are to reach those people the best we can. We're to get a hold of the cause and to work, but as we're doing that, let's not forget about these guys right here. I think of Ms. Breyer over here. There's TR, and we had some more here this morning. What about that next generation? The last thing I want is to end up like the book of Judges and Judges chapter number 2 and have the testimony of when Joshua died and all the leaders that served under Joshua, it said, then Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They fell. Someone stopped preparing and supplying those who would come after. May we not forget those that would come after. How are we going to do that? See, sometimes it takes some financial investment. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. I got that one marked, amen. I beat you there. Philippians 4, verses 14 uh, 14 through 20 here. Uh, the church of Philippi, this is their testimony. Paul lays out here, he says, Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. 
Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Didn't we experience that when we sent that check to Brother Ben Manley? We answered that call. And, and there's more that we, we, we send out of here. We support them, you know, $100 a month and and in reality, I, I don't know what their need is per month, but we're just a part of what they need. And I praise the Lord we're able to give that. But I wonder, you know, it, some of us might say, I have nothing to give, but if we were to look at our finances, I'm as guilty as anybody else. The Lord's been dealing with me as I pray about faith, promise, and mission giving. We give a certain amount, and, and the Lord showed me, you know, if we cut and shave some things off of what we do, I could give more. I could give more. There's more I can do to where uh, we could send and maybe take on more missionaries. Right now, your know, preacher mentioned uh, uh, we're, we're, what is it, a deficiency. Uh, we got a little bit of a deficiency and we're having to pull from the general fund to, to maintain the ones we got. My prayer and goal and, and aim, and as I'm, I'm praying, as the Lord would have me to give, is that we'll meet that deficiency and more. And have a surplus to where some of these men that come in here and women... Uh, going to different areas that we don't have flags up on the wall, that we'd be able to add flags next year of areas that, that we got missionaries uh, going. I think we need Australia, right, to have all the continents. And that's got to take, sometimes that takes financial investment, but that's not the most important thing. I know that's what missions kind of gets grouped in. Everybody thinks, well, you know, oh, it's missions month. Oh, it's faith promise mission time. And the preacher's going to get up there, missionaries are going to get up there and, and try to plead on our heartstrings to give. But the reality is, if you're surrendered and you're separated, you'll have a desire to give towards missions. Uh, a surrendered and separated Christian is one that sees the cause for mission giving. Is there not a cause to supply those who are to come after? I, I, uh, Charles Newton uh, had on Facebook, they, they just char had their charter day, uh, I think this Sunday, over in uh, uh, what, Kenya. Uh, what city was it? Nairobi, that was it. And, and praise the Lord. He's a young missionary. He's somebody that, that hopefully, Lord willing, and my prayer is that God keeps him on the field 20, 30, 40 years and, and doing what God's called him to do. There's no telling. I think they had 38 in attendance there this morning. First service at their new church. 38 tenants in, in Kenya. Imagine 20, 30 years from now, Lord willing, they, they might have three or four church plants there in Kenya. There's no telling what God could do, but uh, the only way they're going to do that is if people continue to give financially. See, the, 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 the thing about it is he can't get a job. He's not like you or me. I, I can get a job, amen? Uh, you know, when I stepped, from, stepped down from that church where I was on staff, I already had a full-time job and, and uh, came over here. I knew I wasn't looking to get back in the ministry. The Lord really worked some things out. I'm, I'm content. 
you know, where I'm at. I thought that some other things were going to play out, and they haven't. And uh, I can honestly say I'm content where, where the Lord has me. Because I have the opportunity to get a job and to, to help support the work here. I tithe and give the faith promise missions. I have that opportunity. These missionaries don't unless they become citizens. And very few of them are able to become citizens because every country uh, uh, is not like our country trying to make it where everybody can come in and become a citizen. They have rules and regulations. And in order to get a job, you've got to be a citizen. That, that's why they need the support. So they can support their family. So sometimes there's a financial need, but more importantly, sometimes it takes time, an investment of your time to pray for them. That is probably more important, and I will say that is more important than the financial investment. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, turn there with me if you would, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. I didn't mark that one. You might be able to beat me. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. He says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, he's, he's talking to his disciples here, and he tells them, alright, you disciples, it may have been the twelve there, it may have been, I know at one time he had over a hundred followers, but his main core was the twelve. I don't know which disciples it's talking about, but even if it was just the twelve, why didn't he say, pray ye therefore that you will go into the harvest? No, he said, you pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. Because if you're here at South Haven Baptist Church, and you know you're here in the center of God's will, being a member here, dedicated, if you're here on a Sunday night, you have some dedication of, of being a, a, a good member, right? Or, or somebody faithful to the house of God. I'm not trying to beat you up. I mean, you know, if you're here on a Sunday night, you have some kind of investment going on, right? And uh, if you got that going, I'm not saying you have to leave here and go across the sea. No, but you can pray, Lord, maybe it's good for us, and, and the Lord's burdened me to look up some of these countries like in the Middle East where the, the main population is Muslim, and say, Lord, I know it's, it's got to be a difficult field, and I'm pretty sure you haven't called me there, Lord, but would you send somebody there to preach the gospel? That takes an investment of time. And the Lord commands us to pray that way. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He, who's the Lord of the harvest? The Lord is. That He will send forth laborers into His harvest. He might not be calling you, but we can definitely be praying for somebody to go in our place. And if they come across our path and the Lord opens the door where we can support them, then we can make that financial investment as well. But more importantly, are we praying and taking the time to invest in prayer towards missions? You're only going to do that as if you see the cause. Is there not a cause for the Lord to mention it? For us to pray for it? To send forth labors into the harvest? It always takes and a time investment of prayer. And then lastly, it requires an incurable burden. It requires, if you're going to grab a hold of the need and see the need, the cause to, to supply those who will come after and to supply those that are going to go to the field for us, it takes an incurable burden. What do you mean, Brother Jed? Turn with me to Psalm uh, chapter 126. Psalm 126. As I was getting this together, this psalm 
is is usually preached a lot of times in missions conferences for the last two verses, and that's where I'll go, but it just kept coming to mind. It says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. It takes an incurable burden. What do I mean by that? When was the last time you prayed for somebody, prayed for their salvation? When was the last time the Lord burdened, and, and I, I'm throwing myself in there. I have to ask, my, when was the last time I got so burdened for my neighbor? Got so burdened for that coworker I go to work with uh, that I know is lost. Uh, so burdened for those in my family that, that don't know the truth and haven't accepted the truth and the free gift of salvation. When was the last time we got so burdened that, that nothing would, would settle our burden except that God would see them saved and that we would pray, Lord, and have us do our part? May that be, may we grab a hold of that. Is there not a cause to have that incurable burden? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Uh, I mentioned C.T. Studd. He's probably one of my favorite missionaries uh, it, it, as far as to study in Bible college. Uh, when I took the, the missions uh, uh, course, uh, if you would, at the college I graduated from, we had to write uh, uh, papers. I was writing papers. I tell people I was an author. My wife was an editor. Uh, I had to write so many papers when I was in Bible college at the one I graduated from. Uh, down in Florida, but anyways, C.T. Studd, I wrote a paper on him, and, and he was a great missionary. He started off, uh, he was known as one of the Cambridge Seven. He got saved under D.L. Moody's ministry, and uh, the Lord called him to missions, and right as he was about to go to the mission field, he got an inheritance from his father. His father passed away and left him uh, over 30,000 pounds, and uh, he lived in England. He was a cricket player, a well-known cricket player over there. And uh, 30,000 pounds in today's currency would be over $5 million he, is what he was left with. And before he went to the mission field, he gave it all away except 1,000 pounds because he was about to get married. And then whenever he started talking to his future bride, she said, the Lord said in that text where you were at this morning, the Lord said, forsake all, Charlie, is what she told him. And so he gave the last thousand pounds for her request, and they basically eloped. Uh, but he gave it all, all his inheritance away. He gave some, as by record it says he gave some to D.L. Moody's ministry, he gave some to Hudson Taylor's ministry, and uh, he gave some to missionaries all across the world, uh, and forsook it all and went to the mission field. He started off in China working under Hudson Taylor. Then the Lord called him to India, and he started church plants in India. And then he had to go back because of bad health, and uh, as he was in England getting his health recuperated, the Lord called him to Africa, and that's where his main work was. Uh, the acronym was HAM, Heart, uh, the Heart of African Missions was the name of his organization, but they went by HAM, H-A-M. I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, the Lord called him there, and he started a great work, but he has some quotes, and I'll just give you one. One of his quotes was, uh, If Jesus Christ is God, and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He wrote a book called The Chocolate Soldier, and if you read it, it's a very convicting book, but it's basically talking about how most Christians are chocolate soldiers. 
when the storms come or the uh, fiery trials come, they just melt away. But he talks about those that basically grab a hold of the cause are the ones that are what we would call heroes of the faith and, and, and stick with it and bear through it. So uh, by, by conclusion, let me just ask you this question. Is there not a cause to grab hold of and, and supply the needs of those that are going to come after us? Those that are going to go to the mission field, do we see the cause? You've got to be separated. You've got to be surrendered. And you've got to be willing to invest in those that are going after. Who are we investing in? You know, I know I got my boys, and, and I, I try to invest in them, but outside of your family, there's a lot of young ones in this church. I think of uh, a lot of you that, that are, I'm, I'm not calling you old, but you're, you're older than me, amen? And you, and you might not have kids in this church. You might not have grandkids in this church. Adopt one of them. Invest in them. And that goes for all of us. If we're going to grab a hold of the cause and see the cause to, to make an impact on the next generation. So the last thing I would hate to see is for when, when our pastor, uh, I know it's your desire to preach and die here, right? I mean, you had not changed your mind. Uh, I think of my, the pastor that led me to the Lord, Brother Mike Landrum. He's supposed to be preaching. You pray for him. He's supposed to be preaching this Wednesday. Uh, I think it's 45 years, right? 45 years he's been at Bible Baptist Church. He just suffered a, a heart attack, had a quadruple bypass, but... He is itching and dying to get back in that pulpit. He said it from the pulpit. He plans on dying behind that pulpit. I pray that's his testimony and stays that. But the worst thing that could happen is when you know, all of us have passed on, if you would, or are unable to serve like we could, that this thing shrivel up and die because we hadn't focused on supplying those that would come after us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again for tonight and just the opportunity.